Hi, this is Greg McEwen. I had a great conversation with Ryan about how to clear out the closet of your mind, all those ideas that are actually keeping you from finding the biggest idea, the most important idea that will get you to the next level in your speaking career. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. We are back with another episode of World of Speakers. And today I am, well, I'm always excited and you know that, but today I'm particularly excited because we've got Greg McEwen, who's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And I have read this book a number of times. And when I say read, I'm loosely saying listen to because I listen to my audiobooks in the car. And I'm super pumped to have you here, Greg, today. And simplicity is never easy, especially when it comes to everything in life. <laughs> and so I'm curious to talk with you about how essentialism plays into the world, plays into speaking, getting some tips, and also understanding the path that you've had to success so people can share in that and eliminate the stuff that doesn't work and focus on the few that does. So welcome to the show, Greg. It's great to be with you. Thank you. I always like to start off the show with a story. And instead of just reading the extensive bio that you have with all of your successes and being somebody who's one of the top recruited speakers to take the stage across the world. I want to know a story from your past that if that is the only thing that I had, I've got a friend and I want to introduce them to you. And I say, oh my gosh, you got to meet Greg. Yeah, read his book. Sure. But I got to tell you the story about him. What would that story look like to get to know you a little bit more from our audience perspective? It's not a story that makes me look very good, but <laughs> well, those are the best stories, right? I mean, that's to be a perfect human, you have to be imperfect. So let's hear it. What went wrong? I received an email from, from my manager at the time and it said, I'm sure jokingly, Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. I need you to be at this client meeting. And, uh, and Thursday night we went into the hospital. My wife went into labor and I went into labor and we, uh, we're there in the early hours of probably late Thursday night, early hours of Friday morning, uh, daughter was born. And so Friday, you know, comes and everybody is, you know, everyone is well, but I'm feeling torn. Instead of being present for this essential moment, instead of being able to be there, I, I'm feeling torn. How can I, you know, should I be going to this meeting? You know, should I be trying to keep everybody happy. And, and to my shame, I went to the meeting. And uh, actually, I remember afterwards, my manager said, uh, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. And the look on their faces actually didn't evince that sort of confidence. But uh, <laughs> even, even if they did, I mean, I think everybody knows, and of course, I know that I made a fool's bargain. And what I learned from that lesson or experience was that if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Uh, so it, in hindsight, it set me off on a on a, a new journey, a pursuit to you know, understand better why we do violate what's more essential for something that's less essential, and also just as interesting to me, maybe even more interesting, is why some people don't. You know why we don't. I mean, sometimes we get it right. 
Sometimes we there's something that's easier, funner, that's non-essential, but we actually still opt for something that's essential, and we we make the right trade-off. And I want to understand that too, so that in this world full of distraction, full of noise, uh, we can better take this path towards a, an essential way of living and leading. Interesting. So as you were growing up and throughout your life, you know, when somebody hears essentialism, they might think of minimalism. Was there any inherent nature of you being somebody to have more stuff than you need or were you uh, didn't have stuff or was it really that you just that wasn't even on the radar until this sort of life moment happened and you had this aha. Uh, tell me about your history when it comes to this type of decision-making before this inciting incident? No, first of all, to that question, to be clear, there was no sense in me of like, well, minimalism is just fun or cool or a way to live or anything like that. But as I pursued that question, I found a predictable pattern inside of organizations. And that pattern is this. Silicon Valley companies, for example, start small company focused on the right idea at the right time. So they have a state of clarity. And that clarity leads them to phase two, which is success. And phase two, uh, success breeds options and opportunities. So phase three is options. And that all sounds like the right problem to have. But in fact, it does turn out to be a problem. In many instances, if the company falls into the undisciplined pursuit of more. And if you fall into the undisciplined pursuit of more, you can end up in phase four, which is chaos. And then if we had to add Normally, I just think about it as those four phases, but you have, I have to add a fifth phase, it'd be failure. That chaos can become so significant in these organizations that you start to plateau or fail altogether. And so here's this oddity that success can become a catalyst for failure. And so professionally, this is the big takeaway. This is what I'm observing in these companies. Then personally, I'm seeing that this is the same phenomenon. What I'm observing in the organizational sphere, I suddenly experience in the personal area, and it's these two come together and you realize, right, this isn't a business phenomenon, it's a human phenomenon. And so when these ideas come together, I realize the antidote to the problem, the companies and individuals who are able to keep breaking through to higher and higher levels of contribution, who are able to escape the undisciplined pursuit of more, follow a series of particular practices. And I gave a name to that so that we could talk about it, so that people would be empowered to talk about it. And that's essentialism, a disciplined pursuit of less, a way of operating. Here are the three things they do. They explore what is essential, they eliminate what is not, and they create a system that makes it easier to do those things that matter most. And that's the, that's the repeated process that they follow constantly in their life to be able to break through from this pattern we've just been describing and break through to the next level. Wow, that's some good stuff. So like speaker success can come from clarity, which creates this opportunity, which can create chaos if you start to sort of spread yourself too thin or you start to talk about too many topics, uh, which could lead to failure, right? Yeah, I would think that most speakers have already experienced this pattern. And most of us experience this pattern multiple times. It's not like you experience it once and then you're done with it. You know, it's an ongoing basis. But most speakers 
have identified at some point that they want to speak, that they are that <laughs> right. kind of person. They've had a moment of clarity that they go, I like that. I'm drawn to that. A lot of people aren't. Lots of people, it's the last thing they'd want to do. It's most people, right? The most people, it's the last thing that they would want to do. It's It's not a natural thing to do. If I mean, that's not like a normal thing. So they've already had this moment of clarity. But then, you know, that clarity will generate a certain level of success, meaning you'll start to learn about this field. That is its own success. You start to read other books. You start to learn about the industry. You start speaking at various various probably you know smaller locations at first and so on but this is all success and just because it isn't prime time yet doesn't mean it isn't success and right from the beginning there's such a proliferation of ideas and so many principles that are interesting to people and so many principles that you think the world could use this needs this that you've already done it (laughs) you're already plateaued right already completely massively out of uh, clarity. I mean, it happens almost immediately because how many ideas are interesting? How many things are good? How many? And so this, I really do think is the number one issue is that people haven't identified the right essential message. Now, it's not enough to choose one message. That's not the idea. You could choose, I could choose the right, uh, the wrong one message. Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's a special form of non-essentialism. That's like just doubling down on the wrong thing. And I have absolutely seen people do that. They want to teach, they've got the motive and then they get, choose a subject and they feel, maybe even feel passionate about it. This, the world needs this, but nobody buys what they need. Right. People buy what they want and then you must provide them with what they need. And so you've got to find the right idea amidst trivial many. Okay. So let's play on this, right? So I want to, you know, we, we usually get into some tactical speaking topics and I think even the step before that, the essential part is finding what we're talking about here. Like what is the right topic or what is the essential topic? And I'm curious, could you step me through some parallel logic of what you outline in your book and some of these strategies and methodologies for somebody who is trying to, from a tactical standpoint, come up with something that resonates with the world? Is there a certain process that you go through? Because what I really like that you said, it's not about choosing one, because you can choose the wrong one. But how would you help somebody who is an upcoming speaker, either verify that what they've honed in on is essential? Or how do you help them to audit what they're doing to find what is non-essential? Yes. So, Let's go through the three steps. Explore what is essential. You've got to create space, first of all, to do that. So it's not enough to just keep reacting, not enough to keep adding topics, or you've got to actually explore. So so coming out the gates, like would you suggest writing a list of here's all the topics I'm interested in talking about, like as a number one? Because when like let's say when it comes to business, right? Or you wanna you want to empower entrepreneurs, for example, it's like here's all these topics. Or if you want to speak to an executive crowd, you've got like things like leadership and sales and then marketing and then all these other elements. So is it a, is a first step making a list, like filling the closet first before you remove the clothes that you don't want? The idea would be to get it all up. What if we imagine like the same for both in that if you're an experienced speaker, you've got some traction. Yes. You take all the ideas out. That's exactly what I'd recommend to people. 
And every idea, good, bad, and different, it doesn't make any difference. You want it all out. You want it out of your head where it's doing you no good at all. Uh, because the RAM of our brains can only absorb so many ideas at any one time. So it's trying to process something that can't be processed in your head. You've got to get it out. You've got to look at all of it. I love the RAM of the, of the brain, by the way. I think that's your next book is <laughs> Brain RAM 2.0 or something. <laughs> yes. What ideas am I passionate about? That's one set of clothes. That's one set of post-its. The next is what are people hungry for? Mm. What's the fashion? What is the current fashion or the current trends? Relevancy. Mm. What's hurting right now? I'll go back to this quote because it masses the whole story. People buy what they want, not what they need. And it's the number one mistake that I see authors and speakers making. Number one mistake is that they are too consumed with their own sense of what the world needs. Hmm. That's not the, we have a massive supply of that, but a huge disconnect between that and what the buyer actually wants. What do they want? Now to know that just because there are so many different people wanting so many different things, do you then have to like stop and do customer avatars and figure out who those people are that you want to get in front of? Like who wants to wear the clothes in your closet? Yes, I think so. You got to think pretty hard about this. It's not a, you happen to be passionate about it. The world need it. No, it's, I mean, often the person who's actually sort of putting on the event is buying uh, will this make me look good in front of my executive? Interesting. Yeah. What defines whether somebody's going to go to the next level up? And this now has to do with, I think, what we're describing. You know, can you find the little angle, the little hook? I read something years ago that, uh, you know, might sound wrong to some people, but it definitely grabbed my attention. And it was this they said, all you need is the one right idea to live like a king for the rest of your life. So this idea of like the one idea, you know, there is a book that is called The One Thing, and I actually did listen to it. And it was a little intense because it was so focused on finding that one thing. And when it comes to back to this essentialism concept, I feel personally in my life that sometimes I'll come down with what I, I call and self-diagnose the sort of disorder, Right. I sort of have finished this project. You know, my, my speaker page on my website is sort of done. And then I've got this uh, gingy bot chat bot for speakers that I built sort of, no, it's actually. And so this idea of like, we only have a finite amount of time. So talk to me about the, the parallel between choosing one thing and it being the right thing, but in contrast with testing the waters for other things, right? It's like, it's kind of a slippery slope. Yes. Yeah, I don't think it's a slippery slope, but you do have to recognize the reality of it. You are, the idea is a winnowing process. There is, a, the first principle of essentialism is to explore, and the paradox is that essentialists explore more broadly than non-essentialists. Hmm. And the reason that that's true is because non-essentialists are too quick to commit to something oh, this is it. This is great. I'm going to go on this thing. And, and they can maybe go big on something for a moment. And then suddenly, you know, the next day there's another idea and somebody else is talking about some other thing. They go, oh, my last idea, that wasn't the thing. I should have gone on this direction. And they're being, they're actually sort of, it's shiny new object syndrome, but they are sort of running after each one. Hmm. Whereas an essentialist looks at each one, don't commit to each one. Instead, they 
they really, they vet them out beforehand. So what about this? This is a concept that I, I often turn to when I find myself, you know, chasing after squirrels. It's worrying once really, really good instead of worrying continuously. And like worrying is a natural self-defense mechanism. But if you worry all the time, like you're going to be a mess. So I attribute this worrying or due diligencing onto these different ideas or topics. It's the right idea, but you don't just stop it in terms of idea, idea development. I think we have tools to experiment with this better than ever, ever, ever in history. Mm. But if we use them incorrectly or if we let them use us, then we won't get good at this either. So, for example, you know, I think that Twitter, if you're used by Twitter, is a terribly distracting tool and, and will take you away from what you're trying to achieve. But it's also extraordinarily helpful to have a micro-publishing platform to test out not just general ideas, but the precise way of expressing them. Mm. It matters enormously. You know, you're not trying to shovel coal with ideas. I, I remember I've worked with professionals in, in the sort of uh, learning and development space who reminded me of sort of a shoveling coal. Here's a new presentation. Here's a new thing. Look, I've got 50 slides on my new thing. I spent two days working on it. I've got the new thing and I'm going to send it out to everyone in the organization now and train everybody. And now a month later, they've got a whole new thing. They've got decks coming out everywhere. This is easy. This is easy to create good rubbish junk. That's easy. What you're looking for is diamonds, a diamond idea that you go, this just hits. It's so relevant. People have the, it's a power of relevancy. People want it now. They're interested in it. Now, in the process, of course, what you're doing is step two, which is eliminating non-essentials. You are removing things. At first, just the rubbish. The stuff that nobody's asking for, the stuff that you just know, I'm passionate about it, but they don't care. Start with the easiest stuff. Start with the stuff that's just not working. Okay, I'm digging it. Yeah, that's right. And then you've got to keep working up the continuum where you start to say, I really like this idea, but uh, it just doesn't feel right. It's almost like it makes me think of an actual like game show competition where, oh my gosh, squirrel. Literally, a squirrel just walked across across a fence. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was on point. <laughs> wow, okay. You were literally just distracted by a squirrel. <laughs> I literally just saw him and his little fuzzy tail go across. Okay, <laughs> back to the focus. Yes, it includes going and teaching for free anywhere, but testing the idea and recognizing ideas will bomb recognizing that certain things will not work and being honest about that, generating the ideas in the first place, but then also going out and starting to test them with audiences. Did they listen? Were they staring at their hands? Are they staring at you? Did they laugh? Did they lean forward? Did they ask questions? Did they push back? Did they, I mean, all of this is feedback and I just don't know of any way to be a speaker without actually speaking. I dig it. Once we've got that and we've flushed it out, we've spoken and we've failed and we've bombed and we, we're, we're crafting this together, what's that final step that brings it all in together? Well, it, so explore, eliminate, and the third is execute. And what that means is building a system that makes execution of what you've identified as being important as effortless as possible so that you don't rethink what you're not supposed to rethink. You don't 
build a system that's hard work. Here's what's hard work is trying to cold call your way into being a speaker, mm. right? That now you've got, a, you think you've got a good idea. You think you've got, you know, something to share to the world and nobody knows about it. And you're going to try and take it like a door to door salesman one after another. No, this is, I, I know of nobody that this has worked for. Uh, and I'm not saying there aren't people, but I just don't know them. Do you think there's a certain amount of, I don't want to say, but I want to say like cowardice about sort of self-sacrificing, being like, okay, I've got this idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll just call or I'll cold call my way into it or like not fully taking the plunge and not fully committing at that execution point. Is, is there a bit of cowardice if you're not executing? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. That feels a little harsh to me. I don't think any of this is easy. But I got a call from a best-selling author recently asking, basically, and they're being very honest and open and vulnerable about it, why isn't my speaking business working? You know, I got the best-selling book. At least he hit the lists. Which is not, a, not an easy thing to do, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And so it wasn't – so first of all, he's achieved this. But he also has – he's like running a business on the subject of his book. He's got the book. And now he also wants a speaking business on the side. And, you know, again, sometimes that can work for people, but I haven't seen it work very often because a book is a business. Like it's obviously more than a business, but it requires that kind of thinking. Who's the audience? What's the product? How do you design this? How can you really meet a want that also meets eventually a need? All of that that you would design for a sort of business plan exists just for the book. And I found also exists just for the speaking business. So you can't do it as like a, hey, as a side thing. Oh, wouldn't that be so great? And every so often someone does call them and ask them to speak and they like it so much. They think, oh, yeah, I'd love to do more of that. Well, that's not going to get you there. You know, you've got to do this kind of process we've just described. Again, to make this clear, you've got to build a system to make execution as effortless as possible. You want it so that you're building a machine that gives you the results that you're trying to get rather than yourself just constantly pushing for every single result you get. There's really two ways of thinking about execution, just to put a summary on this. You can either think about execution as something you just go out and directly do yourself to get the result that you want, or you build a machine that gets those results for you repeatedly. And that's really... Uh, you know, the essentialist thinks about building machines so that the results come, whether they're really working on it today or not. And, and that's sort of a wrap. You're trying to figure out what you want to be, but you take the clothes out of your closet, then you explore them, you eliminate them, and you execute on the ones that you think will work, test to see if it works. And if it works, you're onto something and it can't just be something cool. It's got to be amazing. It's got to be something that people resonate with within whatever general topic you're talking about. And you got to rinse and repeat. All right. So Greg, I feel like I just read your book again, <laughs> but, but I will read it again. And I'm not just going to say that. And for all of you out there, get his book and read it. And then when you're done with it, maybe eliminate it. <laughs> hey, so Greg, if somebody was to find you online or learn more information, what is the essential piece of contact information you would give them? I think that just going to gregmcewan.com is a place that uh, that you can connect, sign up for a, a newsletter that I send out just 
uh, actually quite infrequently, but I do send things out when I think that they uh, that they can be really helpful. LinkedIn is a platform that I've used a lot. I'm one of the influencers on that platform, and so and so that's a, a way to get uh, sort of the latest thoughts that I have on these subjects. And uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Excellent. Well, uh, I usually like to say let's share the stage sometime, but I think we are soon. And I'm looking forward to shaking your hand, meeting you in person and continuing to implement all of this essentialismness for my speaker essentialismness to help use words, the right words to move the world in a just a little bit of a more simple way. So thanks again, Greg. This is a lot of fun. What a pleasure. Thanks so much. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another podcast here on the World of Speakers. You can find more at theworldofspeakers.com. If you liked this, leave a comment, show Greg some love, share this podcast, help everybody else get this information. We've got a lot of great guests who are speaking around the world to help you become someone who can feel confident and comfortable speaking around the world. I and Greg... I don't think that's proper, but it doesn't matter. We're out. All right. Later, Greg. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Bye. Thanks a lot. Adios.